scripture reading tonight is Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that a name that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Good to be together once again this evening. We're so thankful for the presence of everyone that is here. We are glad that we are able to come together to worship God in spirit and in truth once again this evening. We began a few weeks ago what's going to be a, a short, a relatively short series of lessons on Bible authority. But we began that series a few weeks ago, and we want to continue that again this evening. And we began really by examining the importance for why we even need to have authority. And we looked at a few reasons why having authority is necessary in, in religious matters. And then uh, last week, and, and one of those reasons I would just mention is that one of the things that we saw was that having authority is really for our benefit. It's for our good that we have in authority, or else we would just be left to do whatever we wanted to do, and we would be without any kind of guide, we would be without any sort of lead, and that would leave us to be utter failures. And so, uh, turning to God's Word is meant to help us, it's not meant to be a hindrance. It's not meant to discourage us. And so that's something that's important for us to just stop and appreciate about the subject about Bible authority is that it is really intended for our good and our benefit. The last lesson that we looked at just really looked at the two major sources of authority. And we looked at an episode when Jesus was confronted about uh, by the Sadducees about a question uh, about pertaining to the resurrection, and he actually boiled it down to, okay, look, where, does, where do you get your authority? Does it come from God, or does it come from men? And that's really the only two sources of authority that you can find. Either we're talking about God's authority or heavenly authority, or we are talking about human authority, human tradition, human practices. And obviously we need to be seeking God's authority in religious matters. But that leads us to the question of how do we determine what is authorized or not? How do we read the Bible? How do we read the words of Scripture and come to understand what God wants from us? And that's going to be the goal and the objective of our study this evening is coming to that understanding and as uh, we began in our song worship, that Jesus is our King. And that is something that I believe is very significant. 
that's a very significant point that we need to just stop and appreciate that Jesus is our King. God is our King. And that means that we are His subjects. We are His citizens in the kingdom. And that our role is to do what the King desires. Our role is to do what the King says. And that is something that we need to acknowledge that is found in Scripture, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 52, and in verse 7, how lovely on the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and says to Zion, your God reigns. And something important to notice about this passage is that all of this is good news. This is a happy proclamation, isn't it? And hearing that our God is our King should bring us great joy. It should bring us... Uh, it's good news. It should be something that we are excited to hear. And then in the passage that we read this evening in Philippians chapter 2... Jesus talking about His role, that He has been exalted to the right hand of God in Philippians, the second chapter. And in verse 9, in Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 9, for this reason, because of His obedience and because of Jesus' death on the cross, for this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus Christ is our Lord. He is our King. He's reigning over the kingdom. And because of those principles... This sets up the, and a very important point for us to just stop and recognize and that He is our King. The church is His kingdom. And we are citizens within that kingdom. And we have a role that we have to fulfill in obeying the King and doing what the King says and what the King desires. But we are not a kingdom without a law. And God has given us His law. He has communicated it to us. And so that's really what we want to stop and just think about. And this may seem very basic. This may seem very elementary. This may seem as if it's something that you know, we just kind of take for granted. And I think it probably is many times because we all understand some of the principles that we're going to touch on tonight. But the fact is God has communicated to us what His will is. And that's something that is so important for us to recognize that the Scriptures teach us that God, He has communicated to us. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, in Hebrews, the first chapter, and beginning there in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Also, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And there you see God 
enthroning Jesus, placing Him at the right hand of God, that He is our King. But there's something there at the very first in verse 1. God, after He spoke long ago, He spoke long ago. In verse 2, in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son. God has spoken. And you think about the importance of communication just on a very basic level. Who do you communicate with? There are people that you are either forced to communicate with, or they are people that you want to communicate with. It's people that you have some sort of relationship with. It requires that there be some acknowledgement of who each other might be. There might be somebody that lives on the other side of the world in Russia or in China that I have never met and never will meet, and I, I don't communicate with them because there is no relationship with them. Communication shows us, God speaking to us, shows that He wants a relationship with us. I think that's something that we, unfortunately, is not emphasized nearly enough. When God speaks to us, when He has spoken to His uh, creation, He has spoken to us because He wants and He desires to be in fellowship with us. He desires to be connected with us. And so when we are talking about Bible authority, then we are talking about something and it has a goal, it has a purpose in mind that we want to love God. We want to obey God and we want to draw closer to God. That's why we talk about Bible authority. It's because we understand and appreciate all of these things. And that we want to draw closer to Him in our relationship and we want to be closer to the Lord to today than we were yesterday or the week before. We want to be sure that our love for the Lord is strong, that our obedience is what it ought to be, and that we are seeking to draw near the Lord. But how does God communicate to us? He's God. You might expect that He would communicate to us in secretive kinds of ways or in mysterious kinds of ways. But He has chosen to speak to us through His Word. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and in verse 16, all Scripture is inspired or God-breathed by, by God. It's unprofitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the Scriptures are the source for God's communication to us. God has spoken to us through His written Word. We looked at a few weeks ago in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about how he wrote this mystery down, this thing that has been revealed, and that it has been written down so that we can come to read it and understand it. God has not communicated to us so that we are having to be left guessing. 
what, what he means. The same principles and the same rules that we acknowledge, even though we may, we all, we are, we assume them many times. We don't even, uh, talk about them explicitly. We just acknowledge them and, and assume them. Because we don't have to. The same rules that govern our communication is going to govern the way that God communicates to us. And I think we, you'll see where we're going with this here in just a moment. That God communicates with us in at least one of three simple ways. And if there's a fourth or fifth way, please help me out. Please identify it for me. If there's other ways that we communicate, then that would help me greatly. But I think either He's going to tell us to do something, He's either going to show us how to do something, or He's going to give us information and imply what we are supposed to do. I am really looking forward to the day when my oldest son can go out and mow the yard. And I'm looking forward to the day when I can say, hey, Xander, go mow the yard. When I say that, that, those are going to be some great words that I get to communicate. I'm going to tell him to do that plenty of times in his life. But you know that first time that he learns, I'm going to have to teach him. That's going to be work right there, isn't it? And I'm going to have to show him and teach him, and I'm going to have to communicate to him. I'm going to have to show him how to start the lawnmower. I'm going to have to show him how to put gas or check the oil and just how to, to make a stripe in the grass. I'm going to have to show him that. But then, boy, it's going to be really nice when I can say, man, that, that grass is getting a little tall. Leading him to the conclusion that hey, I need to go mow the yard. <laughs> That's what Dad's saying right there. That's going to be a really good day. We all understand that's how communication works, isn't it? In a very basic and a very simplistic way, that's how God communicates with us as well. And we have uh, come to probably refer to that as command, example, and necessary inferences. Sometimes that's how we refer to that. And that is, I, I like that language. It's important language that we acknowledge that there are direct commands that have been given to us in the Bible. There are a lot of examples that approved examples that we need to be committed to following. And there are several inferences that we need to be able to draw and, and understand that this is what we are supposed to do. And you know, I've heard people express maybe some doubt about those three things. Command, example, inferences, or tell, show, imply. And I've heard people say, you know, that, that, seem, that sounds right. You know, we're not going to debate you on that necessarily. But, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know why we need to talk about it in church. Well, I think it's important for us to, to talk about it in church because... This is how God communicates. And if we're going to understand communication, then we're going to have to understand these rules. But when I was uh, working on my bachelor's degree, 
I was, I, sometimes I'm ashamed to tell people this now. I was working on a degree in journalism. That was before fake news. But it was in the mass communication department. And I took a class called Media Theory and Research. And it was a very dull, very boring class. I hated the course. Oh. But one morning, I'm glad I actually attended that day. The one morning I went into the class and we talked about the, the way that in which people process and learn information. And that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Because I've heard command example inferences all of my life. And I've heard this is just how we talk. This is how we communicate. Well, sure enough, the professor is going through in his lecture and he says that there are three ways in which people learn and how we communicate and how that information is processed. One is based on reports. And he defined a report as basically a prepared statement of fact. Pretty interesting. That, that seems like a command or telling you something. He said the second one was judgments. And he defined that as a judgment is based on tests and examples. Well, then I'm like, okay. I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying. I've heard this all my life in church. And I'm paying you for uh, this course. Why am I doing that? And then the third one, oh, it was really easy at this point. Inferences. And he said that these are conclusions based on facts and examples. I'm like, okay, see, I've heard this all of my life. <laughs> Command, example, and inferences or tell, show, imply it's nothing new. It's not Church of Christ doctrine. It's, just, it's not even just how God talks. It's how Jesus talks. It's how all of us talk. It's just communication. And so this is not a special formula that we have to devise in order to read the Bible correctly. It's just understanding all of the rules of communication that apply whenever you and I might be in a conversation or whenever I might write a letter to you or write an email or something or send a text message. That all of the rules that apply to any form of those communications, it's going to apply when we are coming to the text of Scripture and when we read the Bible. All of it is going to continue to work in the same way. I want to illustrate that tonight. I'm going to look at two texts of Scripture. The first one is in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, this was setting up before the events of Acts chapter 10. The gospel had only gone to Jews. It had not gone, and no one had preached to Gentiles until Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is a very important chapter in the New Testament because God communicates with Peter. And he sends a vision to Peter. In Acts chapter 10 and in verse 9, we have the context of that. It says in verse 9, On the next day as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. 
But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. I want you to see here just very simply that Peter saw something. He saw something from God. He was, get, he was shown a vision from God. He was shown something. God intended for Peter to learn from this vision, as you can see. And he was trying to communicate something important to him. But he has not come out directly and said what he, it is that he wants him to do yet. He had to continue reading. Peter was told in verse 20, as <clears throat> there were some messengers that had come from Cornelius that were coming to fetch Peter to take him to Cornelius. In verse 20 it says... Uh, the Lord through the Spirit said to him, But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. So God is communicating with him, and he tells him to go very explicitly. Go. So now we see that here, out of tell, show, and imply, or command, example, inferences, there's been an example, there's been an illustration. And now Peter has been told something. But again, it's interesting as you continue reading, it takes a little bit of time for Peter to connect all the dots. Because he goes to Caesarea, he goes with the men that came to fetch him. He is obedient in that regard. And in verse 28, as Peter comes to Cornelius, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. How did Peter come to that conclusion? Because there is nowhere in that vision where God said, Hey, Peter... I'm not talking about animals. I'm really talking about people and Gentiles. That's nowhere explicitly stated, is it, in that vision? But Peter begins connecting all the dots. He's saying, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent for me. And then you continue on in verse 34, as Peter begins to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his household, it says, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Understand. He has made all the dots. He says, I most certainly understand. That God has shown this. He told me to go and I came. And that 
I am not to call any man unholy or unclean, and now I understand it all, that God is not one to show partiality. In verse 35, But in every nation the man who fears Him and does what is right is welcome to Him. Finally, Peter made the necessary inferences. God had been leading him there. He'd been dropping all of the hints throughout the text. And Peter made the necessary inferences. He made the jumps that he needed to make. That Gentiles should have the opportunity to obey God and to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love the words in verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. And then in parenthesis, He is Lord of all. Of all. Peter believed that, but he didn't seem to connect all the dots until now. And so you see here just in this first example that Peter saw a vision. He was given some information and he learned from that moment. He learned from that vision. And whenever he was told to go, he went. He was obedient. When he was given a command, he went. And then he begins to connect all the dots and he says, I now understand that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Even though God never explicitly stated that. God said that about animals, sure. But Peter's like, oh wait, God, you're not talking about animals. You're talking about people. That Jesus Christ is Lord of all people. All people need to be given an opportunity to hear the Gospel. And so Peter boldly proclaimed the Gospel to Peter or to Cornelius and his household. I think this just shows us very clearly that God communicated with Peter through these three ways. Through a vision, through an example. He showed him something. He told him to do something. And Peter did it. And then Peter began to draw all the connections that he was supposed to draw. He made the conclusions, the implications that God had left there. He understood them and he made those connections. A second example that I believe is important that is, again, very easy to see. Oh, well, I had that up there. Sorry. Forgot to show that to you. A second example is in John 3. In John chapter 3, a text that we'll be very familiar with, when Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, came to Jesus by night. And he began to question Jesus. He was certainly hunting for some information. And I love this text. I love how Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And he says in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There's a lot of people that think Jesus is a good teacher, even a good moral philosopher. 
But Nicodemus went further than that, didn't he? He said, you are a teacher that was sent by God. We know that. He came to this unavoidable conclusion. He came to the implication that Jesus was a teacher sent by God. Why did he know that? He continued on, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There was evidence, there were signs that accompanied Nicodemus had seen and heard about. He had seen evidence. Jesus had shown him. And then Jesus told him in verse 3 some very shocking words to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that threw Nicodemus on a tailspin. He's like, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a, a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus plainly tells Nicodemus that a person must be born again if they are going to be able to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus asked Jesus questions. He continued to ask questions. And even though he came to a wrong conclusion, and sometimes that's the tricky thing about implications and inferences, sometimes you can come to a wrong conclusion, can't you? And Nicodemus, he's like, how can a man be born again when he can't enter into his, his mother's womb a second time? He came to some, some wrong conclusions, but he asked questions and he was willing to learn. And Jesus clarified those things. And as you continue on reading, Nicodemus again asked questions about some of these things that Jesus was teaching him. In verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? How can someone be born of the Spirit and not of the flesh? He was just greatly confused. And so Jesus tells him by way of illustration. He says in verse 14, he makes a statement, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He said, Jesus goes back to that moment in the Old Testament, when Moses put up that serpent, people had to look on to be rescued from the snake bites. Jesus showed that that is connected. That example gives you a fundamental understanding of looking to Jesus as the Son of Man. And that the ultimate conclusion is that Jesus isn't just a good teacher who's sent from God. 
He is the very Son of God. He says in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The conclusion that Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see is that Jesus, He is the Son of God. And how did Jesus do it? He used the same principles He showed through illustration and through Old Testament examples. He told him what he must do, that you must be born of water and the Spirit. You must be born again. Nicodemus used some of the conclusions that based upon evidence, based upon what he had seen, that this is someone who had come from God. Jesus helps him get the rest of the way there. Looking for examples of God telling us to do something or God showing us how to do something through examples or implying that we ought to do something. It's really not that hard to find. You can probably find something on nearly every page of Scripture that would fit these categories. It's a natural part of reading the Bible. It's inherent in communication. And that's why even though we may not explicitly name all of these things when we are in discussion or when we talk to one another, they are all in play in some way or another at various times. And so, as we have tried to show that Bible authority reveals what is right. Bible authority reveals what is right and authority does not only restrict, it really identifies what we are supposed to be doing. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the why. Why do we talk about Bible authority? Because authority is the foundation that we are building upon. And that anything that we do particularly as a, as a church and as a congregation, but even individually. And we'll talk some about that. Uh, but in matters of Bible authority, we're going to look for these principles, especially in these three areas, but it's not, this is not exhaustive. In our evangelism, how should we conduct evangelistic work? Or benevolence, who can we give to? Who can we not give to? Edification, how do we go about edifying one another? Bible authority applies to these congregational issues and they're going to help us. Bible authority and and talking about commands and and examples and inferences, that model is not a Church of Christ doctrine. It's just a way for us to acknowledge and appreciate how God has spoken to us. And this becomes the foundation to what and how we are supposed to live our lives in a personal way as well and how we, as we operate on a, as a congregation. But on the personal matter, I think sometimes we might fail to make this connection. That 
Bible authority is not just something that we do and talk about at church. It's something that applies to our everyday life and how we live. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just to show us or to give us some examples to think about. But how does Bible authority connect to matters of personal morality? Does God approve of homosexuality? You see, man might give one answer, but God has a different answer. And we look in the Scriptures for that answer. We look in the Word of God for what God has communicated to us. Who has authority to divorce their spouse? Divorce is rampant in our nation, in our world. But how often do we ever stop and ask that question, do you have authority from God to even divorce your spouse? Or, is drinking alcohol acceptable? Is that something that is approved by God? We have a lot of warnings about avoiding strong drink and wine and alcohol. We have a lot of warnings there for us. And I think that we need to take heed to. And it's good wisdom to avoid. And we're not going to be able to extrapolate any of these issues tonight. But I want us to just begin to recognize that when we talk about Bible authority, we are talking about not just things that we do as a church, but also how we live our life. Bible authority is connected to it. And if we want to argue that any of these things would be acceptable or right, We have to have authority to show and prove those things. And as the Apostle Paul would write in the book of Colossians in the third chapter and in verse 17, in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Everything that we do is connected to God's authority because Jesus is our King. We must always ask ourselves as we read the Bible, as we come to understand what the Scriptures are teaching us, we need to ask ourselves, what is God communicating to us? What is He telling us? What is He showing us? What is He implying what the, that He wants us to learn. Because God reveals Himself to us. He reveals His will to us within His Word. And He does that because He can have a relationship with us. He communicates because He wants us to be able to draw near to Him. And therefore, having Bible authority is at the root of our relationship with God and with Jesus Christ. That avoid talking about authority or to not have 
authority for anything that we do, that would be reckless and dangerous for our relationship with God. This evening, I hope this lesson has helped you in some way. Because as we learn, God has communicated to us a great message, a message of salvation, a message of hope, of eternal life. He has communicated that to us in His Gospel. And He has told us what we must do to have forgiveness of our sins. He has told us what we must do to have a relationship with Him. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Those words are just as true today as they were then. If you need to become a Christian, repent and be baptized. God tells you what to do. And if you have fallen away from the Lord, if you've turned away from Him, or if you've allowed Satan and his temptations to turn your heart away from serving God, we would invite you to come tonight to make correction of your life, to come back to the Lord and to seek His forgiveness. He wants you to come back to Him. He will show His mercy and His grace to you once more. If we can help you in some way tonight, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?